0: Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Entricasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss EMTALA, the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. With me to discuss how well or not the law is working currently is Professor Sarah Rosenbaum. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. As always, let me begin with some brief background. As noted in the website introduction to this podcast, EMTALA, signed into law almost 30 years ago requires hospitals to provide emergency care regardless of the person's ability to pay. Today, patient rights advocates say the law is being undermined by hospitals imposing ER fees. Hospital executives argue since the law constitutes an unfunded mandate and since now, according to CMS, over half of ER care is uncompensated, these fees help steer, they say, non-emergency patients to more appropriate and cost-efficient care settings. With me to discuss ER practices in context of EMTALA is again Professor Sarah Rosenbaum. Professor Rosenbaum's bio is of course posted on the website, so I'll not provide it here. Let me begin, if I could, with a clarifying question, because after reading the law and various commentaries on the law, I, I would I would like to get, ask you to help clarify this. The law uh, does not uh, does not require ERs to treat non-emergency symptoms. Um, however, um, uh, however, how are non-emergency symptoms determined? Since the law also states an ER cannot delay examination to inquire about methods of payment or insurance coverage, and may start the process of payment inquiry only after the ER ensures doing so will not interfere or compromise patient care. So it seems that from one perspective, um, the ER staff has to at least uh, screen the patient at minimum, perfectly screen and treat them, Um, but it seems that there's a different practice or interpretation by emergency departments. So is there any inconsistency or is the law actually crystal clear?
1: Uh, I I, I think in this case the law is quite clear actually that when a person comes to an emergency department and requests a screening examination because he or she believes that an emergency is present, at that point there can be no inquiry into method of payment. The medical staff must within the Uh, capabilities of that emergency department, including on-call specialists, examine the patient to determine if there's a medical emergency, and if there's a medical emergency, they have to immediately stabilize the patient. Ultimately, obviously, there can be a discussion about method of payment, and if the screening does not reveal an emergency medical condition, the patient can then be uh, told that he or she, at that point you can have the discussion about how you're going to pay for the emergency medical exam you just got. What a hospital cannot do is withhold the screening exam until the patient produces a method of payment. So to the extent that hospitals are saying, want a screening exam? We need $250 up front. You know, we need you to cover the deductible uh, or the copay, really? Now the copay on your ED visit before we will even
0: examine you. All right, so that would be illegal. So let's well let's get into the specific, and I'll, I'll cite this example. Uh, Kaiser Health News reported last year, in 2013, that hospitals owned by and we will name HCA, the largest for-profit hospital chain in the country, have implemented a first-pay policy that in 2011 led to 80,000 patients leaving HCA's. E.R.s without being treated. So per your, so so per your comment, this is this is an in, inappropriate or inaccurate, or this violates the intent of the law. It's not clear from the coverage
1: because what the article says is they left the E. the emergency room without being treated. I don't know if they were screened and then told you don't have an emergency and it's going to cost you if you want treatment here. Okay. If what the article means to imply is that they left without getting even the initial screening exam, then it's an obvious violation of the law, and the article is just not clear enough to be able to tell. To the extent that hospitals are either implicitly or explicitly making inquiries about how people are going to pay at the moment that they appear and request the screening exam,
0: that's an indisputable violation of the law. So at minimum, for the bottom line at minimum here, is that they at minimum have to be screened?
1: Yes, and only after the screening and, of course, the stabilization if the, if the patient if has an emer- emergency, right. Only when the EMTALA cycle is essentially completed can the patient face a discussion about payment. Now, there may be lots of people who, in fact, hold back from going to the hospital at all. It's one of the interesting things that we saw last week in the study uh, about um, how Medicaid affected use of healthcare in Oregon. Um, and of course people use the emergency department more, and my response to one of the uh, reporters who called me was that that change in emergency department utilization underscores the fact that people who are uninsured who think they have an emergency hold back because they know that they're going to get to the emergency department and they're going to have no way to pay for the care. And whether the hospital is asking them up front or when the screening exam or the stabilization is done. The point is they don't have a way to pay for the care, and so they don't go. So we don't know whether the emergency department visits were unnecessary or, in fact, very necessary and were visits that would not have been made but for the presence of Medicaid. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, okay. Let's go to the hospital side of the equation Mm or argument. So the hospital industry, again, argues, as I noted in the introduction, the fee policy helps address overcrowding and uh, appropriately redirects patient care to more efficient care. What, what do you make of the argument? Well, that's you know that's
1: wonderful um, hospital talk for it gets rid of the people who um, are basically uh, unable to overcome their own financial limitations and remain for services. And um, it of course the underlying assumption is that everybody who walks away from the emergency department uh, out of financial considerations, was an inappropriate user of the emergency department. That's kind of the you know read, read between the lines
0: mm-hmm.
1: aspect of of that of that quote, um, and that's just not a good way to manage appropriate versus inappropriate care by throwing up such financial barriers that you cause people to turn away. I mean, people. People obviously should not use the emergency department if they don't need to use the emergency department, but when you start looking at why people go to the emergency department, whether it's the uncertainty about symptoms, whether it's because their own health plan has told them, or their doctor has told them, go to the emergency department. Which is frequently the case. Right, Right. you know, someone calls up at 10 o'clock at night and says, I'm having terrible chest pains, what do you do? It turns out, in some of those cases, it's indigestion, but... The doctor on the phone at 10 o'clock at night or the planned triage nurse at 10 o'clock at night doesn't know what the patient's dealing with. The patient doesn't know what the patient's dealing with. Um, And we have no way of knowing until after the examination is over whether there was an emergency or not. So this is one of these great tautological arguments with really serious dangers for patients.
0: So just to note, it's estimated... Uh, uh, that non-emergent problems uh, presenting at EDs varies greatly. The CDC estimated that 8% of visits are for non-emergency reasons. A 2010 Health Affairs article estimated as high as 27%. So just to note that. And speaking of health... And those are rather minor
1: figures, actually, when you think about it. Small, yes. That it tells you that with pretty good accuracy, individuals or individuals referring providers know that three out of four times or four out of five times or five out of six times, whatever the number is, it's probably an emergency.
0: And there is also data that 7 to 8% of patients who leave at ED, treated or not, actually wind up becoming admitted to the hospital 20, within 24 hours. Right. Let me ask you about your, since I mentioned health affairs, your 2012 article. Uh-huh. So, in that article, you provided five case studies regarding limitations in the law's oversight and enforcement mm-hmm. and conclude advocating for greater MTOL enforcement. So, how can this be accomplished?
1: Well, um, interestingly, um, w- one of the steps that Congress has taken is that. Um, hospitals Now, non-for-profit hospitals that are uh, Medicare participating, which is virtually all Every non-for-profit name. hospitals, have to certify Mtala compliance as a condition of their 501c3 tax-exempt status. Um, obviously, um, metrics are needed. Um, And they should be part of the process of ongoing rating of the quality of health care at a facility. You know, it's not just all about how scheduled admissions are handled. It's about how the hospital performs in emergencies. Um, To the best of my knowledge, the the, uh, uh, CMS system for rating hospitals does not rate them on their responsiveness to medical emergencies. And so one place where... Um, uh, uh, the ratings might serve both a quality of care purpose, but also, uh, you know, as an early warning sign of problems, is if hospitals had to keep performance metrics on um, everything from the length of time that elapsed between the request for an exam and the examination itself, um, uh, stabilization outcome readmission following uh, transfer from an emergency department. I mean, there there are various junctures in EMTALA that I think lend themselves to performance
0: measurement. Okay, okay. Let me ask you then, since I did note the uh, unfunded mandate comment or criticism to the law, um, some people say there are better solutions to ensure care. So if how would you... Uh, or what would you recommend relative to ways of improving the law, or are there just uh, better alternatives? For example, uh, some people suggest that you could just um, extend or make uh, the Medicaid program more comprehensive.
1: Well, I mean, ironically, of course, this was the, one of the keystone arguments by Congress and pointed out by Justice Ginsburg for the entire Affordable Care Act. Um, that as a society we have uh, come together uh, as a, we have come together as a society around the proposition that hospital emergency departments should be open to anybody in a medical emergency. That is now it's, it's, it, it, it first made its appearance in American law in the early '60s, and. It has become, if anything, more embedded in the law today, not just EMTALA, but in the law generally. It's a social expectation. So the Affordable Care Act was expressly a recognition of the need to make sure that people who do have medical emergencies can you know, pay, uh, or who come to the emergency department thinking they have an emergency, can pay for their care. Um, the other answer I would give uh, is that uh, it, it, it was Congress's view, and it obviously remains Congress's view, that the Medicare program as a whole is so favorable to hospitals that the, um, uh, one of the great um, uh, ways in which hospitals are expected to give back for the privilege of having been supported by Medicare for nearly 50 years now is EMTALA, that this is the one time that Medicare says, as a community-wide duty, you know, if we are going to basically underwrite your future through the Medicare program, then your duty as a hospital is to be open to your community. And so in that sense, the Medicare program taken as a whole is a way of compensating hospitals
0: for this community-wide obligation. Okay. Okay. So you wouldn't go so far as to say that changes are necessary, say, in the expansion of Medicare and or Medicaid. It's more over the issue that ENTALIP, per your previous answer, uh, should be, uh, or quality metrics should be built around the enforcement of ENTALIP. Mm,
1: I'm, I'm, there are two separate things. I mean, one is we should be doing much more to affirmatively and proactively measure hospitals ENTALIP okay. performance. But separate and apart from that, one of the most compelling arguments for national health reform was that if society wants its emergency departments to be open to everybody, regardless of ability to pay on the spot or even
0: citizenship right, right.
1: then um, then you know that's one of the great arguments for national health insurance. but quite apart from that, there is merit to the argument that Congress essentially made in 1986 that given the fact that Medicare created the modern hospital industry and keeps it thriving today, um, that, that, that the quid pro quo for that investment on behalf of society as a whole is, is, is the give back of Mtala which runs society wide.
0: Okay. Well, thank you, Professor Rosenbaum. Your comments are very much appreciated. Appreciate your time today. Thank, and thank you. you. again.
1: Thank you for having me.